So I don't know if you can tell, but um, one of us uh, went to the beach this past week. <laughs> and it wasn't me. So um, I was nervous to be on screen at the same time as you. Because I'm not just like white right now. I'm like clear right now on a screen. So welcome to church. My name is Gage Henry. Like Miles just said, I'm grateful to be here. I love our elders. I love our leadership. I love that they allow me to stand up here. And when Miles was just saying that, I was thinking back to myself uh, a year ago. And to be honest, a year ago from my life, I was standing, actually I wasn't standing, I was sitting on my couch and I had just told my church that I was leaving and I was wondering to myself, one, did I still have a job at ACC because I hadn't talked to Miles yet, which I did, obviously. But I was, my wife was two and a half months pregnant. My house was on the market. I didn't know where I was going to live in Auburn. I honestly didn't even know if Opelika was pronounced Opelika or Opelaka because <laughs> the only guy I knew from Opelika was, was Southern. And so I'm like, I'm going to this place where I literally don't know anyone. And Miles and I were talking about it this week, and I realized that my mindset determined my reality. My mindset determined my reality. And so I don't know what 2020 has been for you, wherever you're watching this. I don't know what it's been like to be in your shoes. I know what it's like to be in my shoes. But I know that I am so susceptible to believe the lies that I consistently tell myself. And the story we're talking about, this series, Trust the Story, and the story that I tell myself ends up being the story that I consistently live. And so what's crazy is I was doing a bunch of research about, okay, that got me thinking, right? I started thinking, and I found out the saddest thing about the way our minds work is that we forget more than half of our lives. Literally, we forget more than half of our lives. Our memories literally dump out things all the time. So what does that mean for us? That means that, honestly, I believe, and this is a stretch kind of, but I believe that sometimes our explanations of our experiences might be more valuable than the experiences themselves. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about their mindset determines the reality. The mindset that you have, if you even want to hear from me right now, determines whether you're going to hear from me right now. Because it's not me. And so when we ever, whenever we open up the word of God together, whenever we ask God to move, it's only by his power and the Holy Spirit whether or not it's illuminated. And so my mindset determines my reality. And so ultimately what's crazy is that our brains literally release stress hormones when we don't know the end of a story. Did you know that? When you're watching a movie, your brain is releasing cortisol, which literally is a stress hormone, because you need to know the end of the story. That's why some of you love Hallmark movies. You're like, in the first five minutes, I know exactly what's going to happen. This is a great, I just get to enjoy the journey along the way. You know, it's like, literally, your brain is stressed out when you're watching Inception, because you just can't understand it, right? And so our brains, we're in these stories. This is what's so crazy, though, is in the story of Jesus and our story today, we know the ending. The ending is Jesus wins. And so in the middle of all that, now I'm figuring out to myself, I'm like, okay, if Jesus wins, I'm still in the already but not yet with him, and I still mess up all the time. How do I trust the story? Actually, what's, what's the better question? What's the point of the story? What's the point of the story if I already know that he wins? And so I want to make a, an argument today for us in this next installment of Trust the Story, that in order for us to trust the story, you have to believe you belong in the story. You have to believe you belong in the story. And some of you already are like, I know, I belong in the story, I get it. Like, I already know your whole message, you don't have to give it to me. But the reality is, I think that what does the enemy do? He wants to convince us that he doesn't exist. 
so that we say things like, oh, I already know. Or we say things like, yeah, of course I know I belong in the story. At the same time, he also wants to convince us of the fact that we don't belong because of our past, because of the things we've done, because of our circumstances. And so I want to give you guys the challenge that we are going to figure out together what it means to belong in the story. So if you need a title for this message, it's going to be this, belong in the story, belong in the story. Go ahead and tell your neighbor you belong here. Now tell your neighbor that you ignored, I belong here. Now, if you're sitting next to a crush, tell them you belong with me. <laughs> My wife loves Taylor Swift, so that one was for her, so you're welcome. <laughs> belong in the story. So I believe that we listen to a voice, and I believe that God speaks to us through his word, and he also speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. So I want to challenge you guys. What voice are you listening to? And I believe that our mindset needs to shift from a few things about this book and also about the way that we talk to ourselves, the voice that you hear in your head constantly telling you things. Because I think we fall into the trap of believing we already know all the answers here, and we fall into the trap of always believing our own voice that we're talking to ourselves with, instead of allowing God to actually speak to us and knowing what voice is speaking. So I know that's a lot, but we're going to shift our mindset from a few things, all right? You guys ready for this? Are you, are you with me? All right, overflow, are you with me? Barely with me. <laughs> Barely with me, but they're with me. I know Birmingham's with me. So the mindset on truth that we need to shift from is we need to shift our mindset about truth from static to dynamic truth. And before you already go ahead and write me off as being a heretic, I don't mean that this book ever changes. It says in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that this is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And then Hebrews 4.12 talks about how this book is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to pierce between joint and marrow. So this, that's the reality, right? So what happens? When we follow Jesus, what that means for us is now we submit our lives under the authority of this book as our expression of us following Jesus, because this is his word. In the beginning, he became the word. He, the, the word became flesh. And so what's amazing is that this, the way we look at this book needs to change from static to dynamic, because, and here's what static means. Static means if I know all the answers, I know God. And this is the common testimony I hear from so many college students, especially in the South, they tell me this. They say, I grew up in a Christian school. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up knowing every single Bible story. But it wasn't until I got to college or I experienced Jesus for myself that I finally got it, that I didn't know God. I just knew all about him. And so that's the common testimony so many of us have. Why? It's because we believe that this book is just a book of answers. We believe, oh, I just need to know the answer. It's why so many of us are so afraid to share our faith with our friends. Because we're afraid they're going to ask us a question that what? We don't know the answer to. And so that keeps us in fear and not wanting to step out in faith and say, no, look at, the, look at Jesus. Look, I met this guy. Jesus has changed my life. He's my friend. But we're so afraid of not knowing the answers. That's because our view of truth is static. So what does it mean to change it to dynamic? It means that this book doesn't become a list of rules about a religion. It means it becomes a relationship. And so what's crazy is that Jesus is actually a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, so when he walks and talks and lives his life, what happens is he's actually teaching a story to his disciples and to the people, which means that people are literally waiting on his every word to what? To discover truth. Our mindset has to shift. 
to where we actually get the opportunity to know that this story is not about us, that this story is about God, and that we get to partner with him in what he's doing. And so like I said earlier, okay, at the end of the story that I'm not stressed out about, like I know Jesus wins, it's on the wall in here, we say it all the time. At the end of the story, I know that's what it's going to end with, Jesus wins. What's the point of the story? I want to make the argument to you guys today that the point of the story is get to, to have the opportunity to discover the author instead of needing another answer. So what if you began to shift your mindset to understanding what dynamic truth looked like? God, I want to hear what you have to say. Personally, I feel like it's like my relationship with my father. I send my dad like this long text. You know what he responds with? Okay, period. You know what I'm talking about? Or, you know, in my generation, just so you know, everyone is, you know, boomers. Okay, just so you know what the reality is. When I see okay, period, I think you're mad at me. I'm just going to say it. But you know the tone is? My dad's like, okay, great. Thanks for telling me. I think we read this book. Imagine if you just read this book. And imagine God was smiling at you when he pinned it. How much would that change your perspective when you read things like, I am slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious and compassionate. That changes the way you read something. So we got to shift our mindset. The second shift we need to have is the voice that we listen to. We've got to shift the voice from a condemning voice to a convicting voice. Condemning voice to a convicting voice. Let me just tell you real quick. The Holy Spirit convicts and Satan condemns. The Holy Spirit convicts you of righteousness. He convicts you of the times when you're not acting like God. You're not being holy. So what happens is he leads us, gently pushes us in the way of the Lord. What the voice of the enemy does is he condemns you. And he tries to convince you of a few things. One of those is that you are God of your own life. He tries to give you the pen to your story and say, keep writing, keep writing, keep writing, instead of giving the pen back to God, who's writing it in the first place. And so I just want to ask you a question real quick, because the enemy wants to destroy the image of God in your life. So if you're listening to the condemning voice versus the convicting voice, and if you're wondering, which voice am I really acting out of? I'm just going to give you some questions. Number one, is God controllable for you? Is the voice you're hearing, is it controllable? And number two, does God always happen to agree with you? Does God always happen to agree with every single thing you say about politics, about life, about race, about all the different issues you face in life? Because a lot of times, what do we do? The enemy wants to convince us to make God in our image and not let him make us in his image. So literally, the enemy of the condemning voice is literally impersonating the Holy Spirit. He's impersonating him and saying, did God really say that? Is that really who you are? And so we have to make sure that we know the voice. How do you tell if something is real? Or, sorry, excuse me. How do you tell if something's counterfeit? Y'all ever seen National Treasure? (laughs) Nicolas Cage, the greatest actor of all time. (laughs) I'm glad y'all knew that was a joke. (laughs) He's chasing around trying to find the real thing. How does he know the real thing is, is the real thing? He knows what's a counterfeit because he knows the real thing. He knows it so well that he can tell that's fake. And so you have to be able to train your mind to say, is, what's t- is the voice that's in my head, is it leading me into righteousness? Or is it leading me to be my own God? And that's the voice of the condemning voice versus the convicting voice. Because the voice you believe will ultimately determine the future that you live. And so like I said, what does the enemy say? You, did God really say that? 
So last week we learned, Matt Cole killed it. I don't know if you were at church at home, it was amazing. Matt Cole brought this word that was all about the fact that apart from sin, I mean, uh, apart from Jesus, the only story we can write is full of sin. That the sin we conceal becomes the sin that we can't see. And if you look at the story of Adam and Eve at the beginning of Genesis, what happens? They go their own way. They be their own God. They choose the other opportunity besides what God had told them. They disobey, bringing in sin into this world. So if you read all of Genesis, what's crazy is you read story after story of person who fails, who takes the narrative back in their own hand, who takes the pen out of God's hand and continues to write what they want to write. So literally all the way through, you can read it. It's amazing. But it's all people trying to do their own thing and not trust the story. Except for there's four people. There's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, and there's Joseph. And these people, for little moments, choose to trust God in the story. And at the end of Genesis 50, there's this moment where God says to Joseph, I will one day deliver my people from Egypt. And in comes the next character, the start of Exodus, the character of Moses. And Moses is this guy who is a Hebrew born. And at the time, the Pharaoh had issued an edict. An edict said this. Kill every Hebrew boy that's born. So his mom takes him, he puts him into the Nile River, and he floats down. And Pharaoh's daughter draws him out of the water. Do you know the name Moses literally means saved from the water or drawn from the water? Which if you think about it, what just happened previously, the whole earth was flooded by water in the story of Noah. And what's so amazing is this is just how good God is. He what, Moses' name is drawn out of water only for a few chapters later for him to literally step up with a staff, put it like this, part the waters of the Red Sea to save God's people. It's crazy how good God is in all little details. You've got to make sure you pay attention to those things. But that's the story of Moses. So Moses comes out. He's raised in the Pharaoh's household in Egypt. And what happens is, is that he still knows. It says God's people groaned because they knew they were oppressed. So he sees a Hebrew man being beaten by this Egyptian, so he intervenes. He ends up killing the Egyptian. Moses, a murderer, kills the Egyptian, and he tries to hide it. He buries him in the sand. And as he buries him, Pharaoh eventually, of course, finds out, because everything comes back to light. Pharaoh finds out and wants to kill Moses. So Moses has to flee to Midian, and he meets a man named Jethro, who's a priest in Midian. He ends up marrying Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. And then Exodus 3 happens, which is one of the most famous passages in Scripture, where God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, Moses, Moses. And he says back, here I am, offering up his availability to be used by God. And that's where we're going to enter the story today. So if you have your Bible, hold it up. Hold it up everywhere. Overflow, you can hold it up too. It's spring break. Relationships have ended, just so you know. If you are married, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. If you are engaged, dating, all that, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Basically, if you're still single, hold it up. Hold it up high. I got some friends visiting from out of town. You know, let them know. This is what we do here in Auburn, how we get dates. We get dates at church. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Gosh, I love spring break in a college town. It's so fun. Relationships end. Or begin, I don't know, depending on the favor of God, just kidding. (laughs) Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 11. It says this, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. All right, we're going to pause real quick right there. What's amazing is that Moses has just said, here I am, right? And now he's about to respond to God. And there's these questions that really reveal the heart of what he's asking. And I think so many of us, we ask similar questions, right? You think about what's been said so far. Who am I? And God's like, I'll be with you. And then he says, what is your name? He says, I am who I am. So I'm going to skip ahead in a little bit. What happens in this next little section at the end of chapter 3? He literally clarifies who he is. He talks about how he is the God of his father, of Moses' father, all the way back to Abraham, and he's going to bless him. And it continues, though. After he says all this, in chapter 4, verse 1, you can skip ahead to that. It says, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? So he literally says, what if they don't believe me? You ever asked that before? You ever had the courage or boldness to say something about Jesus to your friend, and then you say, God, what if, what if they don't believe me? So literally in the story, I'm going to just tell you what happens. He gives them three signs. He says, this is how they know that you're going to believe you. They give them, what, a staff? Throw it on the ground, it'll turn into a snake, and it'll come back into a staff. Or a cloak where you can reach in your hand, and it'll heal you. And the third sign, if they don't believe anything I've said so far... Grab some water from the Nile River, pour it out, and it'll become blood. Those are the three signs. Which, by the way, what is blood representative of? Later in the story, we find out Jesus, what does he do? He turns water into wine. So that what? So that later we could drink that wine as a perfect representation of the fact that Jesus poured out his blood for us so we could be clean. It's crazy how many times in the Bible things allude to Jesus. So those three signs happen. We're going to skip down to verse 10. You can read along with me. So Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. I think our mindset that we should take from the story, we can learn so much about Moses and how he postures his questions and his attitude towards God. And so I want to go back through what he legitimately just said and to make sure we all see it and we're all on the same page here. So I'm gonna, there's going to be some slides that are going to pop up on the screen. What's the first question that happens? Who am I? And what does God say? God gives him the answer. What's the lie that he did not believe? He didn't believe the lie is that I'm not qualified. Who am I? Why would you send me? You ever said that to God? I feel like we say it all the time on, on staff here at a church. Like, who are we to stand up here and talk on behalf of you? Like, who am I? But then God says, I'll be with you. I'm qualified. 
So the answer he gave him in that question is, I qualify you. I'm qualified. What's the second question he asks? He says, what do I call you? See, because names matter a ton in the Eastern worldview. They matter a ton. What do I call you? And he says, I am who I am. I am Yahweh, which is so powerful because it means so much. It's self-existent. And it's also the first time ever that a God has given himself a name to be personal. Before this, all the gods of the world just had power. They weren't personal. This one's going to be different. Adonai, he's going to be personal. So he says, you call me this, Yahweh. Moses says, I'm Moses. That's not enough. He says, I'm Yahweh. I am enough. Yahweh, which by the way, I know we take out the vowels to be cool with our youth team. Like we have A-C-C-Y-T-H. Literally, these are just four Hebrew consonants, okay? God is not like trying to be cool by saying, I'm not going to use vowels. Okay, that joke did not hit like I thought it would, okay? (laughs) Backing out of that. All right. Fourth one, or sorry, the third one he says, what if they do not believe me? The answer, I will give you three signs. Staff, your cloak, and the water to blood. Ultimately, I'm not believable. I have no power. I'm Moses. And he says, but I'm believable. Moses thinks the lie is, I'm not believable. Nobody will believe me. He says, I'm believable. The next one, but I am slow of speech. You ever think you're not talented enough to be used by God? You ever compare yourself to somebody else? You think they would have a better job of doing whatever you're doing? You ever wish you were like someone else? He says, look, I'm slow of speech. And God says, I gave you that mouth, right? I gave you the very reason why you're talking. So ultimately, Moses is saying the lie is I'm not gifted. And God's like, I'm the gift giver. I'm the one who gave you the mouth to talk. So you're going to speak. And the last one, finally, this is where I feel like so many of us wrestle with it. It says, send someone else. Send someone else. And you know what's great is God says, okay, and he answers him in the question. He gives him an answer. He says, okay, I'll send Aaron, but he's going to go with you, and I will be with both of you. So the the lie that we could believe is I'm not enough. But God says it doesn't matter because I'm enough. So here's the reality, why I did all that, and why we have this on the screen, all five together, is because you can tell a lot about what you believe about God by the prayers that you pray, by the statements that you say, by what you're believing, those words, the way you talk to one another, you can tell a lot about God by the questions that you ask him. And when I look at the story of Moses and what he's saying right here, every statement is about Moses, but it's God's story. He keeps asking questions as if to say, why me, why me, send someone else, do something else, I'm not this, I'm not that. And God's saying it doesn't matter because it's my story. And what's honestly hard to read in this story is right after that, he actually does all the things that God tells him to do. If you read the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, it literally gets worse. He does all the things God tells him to do, and it gets worse. He starts suffering more. The Israelites are actually oppressed more. Pharaoh is more angry with him. And so for you and me today, when I think about 2020, there were so many times where I came under the lie, the guise of saying, why is it getting worse if you're good, God? Why do you keep letting me go through these hard things if you're so good? Why do you ultimately not give me the answer that I'm wanting so bad with my question? And it gets back to the beginning of what I just said. Is it because maybe... The very disqualification that you and I have to belong in God's story 
is the exact place where God wants to reveal his heart to you. Maybe the very disqualification is why you don't belong, is where God wants to meet you. And so what's so incredible is that this happens. God, literally Moses yells at God. He says, why'd you let this happen? And he says this, I love this. You can see it, I, didn't, I don't have a slide for it, but it says, because of my mighty hand. That's what God says, because of my mighty hand. And I think that God, that's a way of God saying, I'm writing the story, Moses, and it's not over yet. Because of my mighty hand, you're not even, you can't even fathom what I'm about to do with my people and how much I'm going to lavish them with love, how much I'm going to save them, how much I'm going to do unbelievable things. You just have to give me back the pen to the story and say, I'm going to trust you. And so what happens? Moses responds to this unbelievable statement by God by saying this. In chapter 6, verse 10, I'm going to read out of the ESV because I think it illuminates some things. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. What is happening? God is calling Moses to be his mouthpiece, to go to Pharaoh to save his people. And Moses responds with, I am of uncircumcised lips. Which if you know anything about circumcision, that doesn't make any sense, right? So what is he really saying? What is circumcision a sign of? Circumcision is a sign that you belong in the family of God. Circumcision is the way that you would know, is this person Jewish? Do they belong with God? Are they a part of the lineage of Abraham? And he says, I have uncircumcised lips. In other words, I don't belong. And if you looked at all those five lies I put up a little bit ago, if you looked up all the, I'm not qualified, I'm not enough, I'm just Moses, all those things, the real root lie behind all of those lies and Moses' list of what disqualifies him is the fact that he didn't believe he belonged. And what's so amazing, I'm not just making this up, right after what happens, if you look in your Bibles in, in chapter 6, what happens? Right after we read that, what does God do? He gives him an answer. There's a genealogy. You can look at it right now. There's a genealogy right there where God says, you're of uncircumcised lips. Let me show you the genealogy. I can trace all the way back to why you belong in my story, why you belong in this position right now. And I can show you, right? So all of us are thinking, okay, now we know, right? The answer makes sense. Moses knows he belongs in God's family. He's circumcised lips to go be the mouthpiece, right? No, look at verse 28. He says this, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. And Moses said to the Lord, behold, a second time, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And this is the message that I want you to see. Moses had already made up his mind that he didn't belong in the story. And he didn't need another answer explaining to him that he belonged. He needed to know the author that was writing the story. And what's amazing is this doesn't have a bow on it. 
Right after this, chapter 7, God says, I'll make you like God to speak to Pharaoh. And then what happens? Plagues. More suffering. More awful things. You read the story of Exodus, it just gets worse and worse and worse. People wander into the desert, right? It gets worse and worse and worse. But what happens? Moses begins to walk and trust the story that God is writing. From this point on, he begins to trust. God, I don't know why, but I can't wait till I discover when, you under- when I understand. So he continues to follow. And th- literally, this is the bow if you need it. Exodus 33, 11. Look at what he says. This is so good. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Moses began a relationship with God, Adonai, Yahweh, and he began to be defined by what God said about him and not his insecurity. He had a new identity. And what happens? Let's look at Hebrews 11. You don't have to flip there. Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Literally, this is what's written about Moses later in the New Testament. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. He saw God. And so I just want to challenge us today that the presence of the problems in your life, what if they are a pinned invitation for the presence of God? What if the very thing that disqualifies you from belonging in the story of God is the very place where he wants to meet you with his heart? And so instead of me giving you three points, because I just talked to you about how important it is to discover truth, I'm going to give you three questions. You can write these down. I would love for you guys to process this later. I'm going to do this myself. But these are my three questions. Number one, what questions are you asking God? What questions are you asking God? Are you like Moses? You're saying, who am I? Are you like Moses? You're saying, please send somebody else. Imagine this. What if God answered every one of your prayers that you prayed in the last seven days right now? How different would your life look? How different would the world around you look? What are you saying to God? Are you allowing his word to redefine what you think? Are you allowing his voice to speak to you? Elijah heard him in a cave, a small whisper. So my second question is this. It's pretty self-explanatory. What lie do you believe the most? You know the most common lie you believe is the one you tell yourself? Seth Godin, who's like a famous marketing strategist person, says, people don't believe what you tell them. They might believe what your friends tell them but they always believe what they tell themselves. And so maybe the thing that you fear most is the exact place where you trust God the least. And maybe, what if you stop needing an expectation and I stop needing an expectation from God for a specific answer? And I just asked him the questions that led me to his heart. I said, God, what are you doing? What lie are you believing the most? And my last one is this. What truth do you need to live by? See, I don't know about you, but most of my thoughts are negative. And I was actually sitting in my office, well, not my office, I was borrowing Miles' office because he was at the beach, but I was enjoying it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was sitting in Miles' office, and I was sitting across from a student who's in this room right now. And she began to tell me that she had made a list of all the reasons why she didn't belong in the story of God. And I thought to myself, you know what? I feel the same way. So I thought, why not, with a group of people and people online watching, why not me just share my list of why I don't belong? And maybe it'll help somebody in the room who thinks the same thing.
These are my words not to live by. Your past will continue to define you. God is mad at you for continuing to fail. People don't really like you. They just act like it. If people knew the real you, there's no way they'd like you. If you let people in, they will reject you. You don't deserve to call yourself a Christian. You don't have what it takes, and you never will. You are the only one who feels like this. You're not good enough in your job. You're too old to have a voice. You're too, sorry, you're too young to have a voice. You're too old to stay relevant. You're not doing enough accomplishing to matter. You will mess up your son. You will never be enough for your wife. Your mother will never heal from the cancer. Your father might not really be proud of you. Your friends have forgotten about you since you moved. Your best days are now behind you. You're self-righteous, you're prideful, you're arrogant. You're not funny or strong or smart, and everyone can see that. Did God really say that he cares for you? Did God really say that you have a purpose? Did God really say that you are forgiven? Did God really say that the world is better with you? Did God really say that you belong in his story? I know you have your list. To be honest, I don't belong. And you don't belong. But Jesus didn't belong on the cross. But he went anyway. And long before you and I decided that we didn't belong in God's story, God was writing a story in such a way to make sure we knew we 100% belonged. Long before you decided what you wanted to do with God, God decided what he wanted to do with you. And that was to not give you what your sins deserve, but to give his son what your sins deserve and my sins deserve so that he could what? So he could literally rip out this list and tear it up on the cross. Every single one of my insecurities doesn't have to define me anymore. Every single one of your insecurities does not have to define you anymore because what? Because all of this belongs on the cross with Jesus. And the moment that we have the opportunity of realizing that everything that disqualifies me from the story and the family of God actually opens up God's heart towards me is the moment I can live in true relationship with God. And so not only do I have the opportunity to go to God and give him all the things that disqualify me from his story by laying it just all on the cross because Jesus paid for it all. Jesus literally stepped out of heaven to then give us a new identity. And so a few years ago, a pastor did a thing called Words to Live By, where he said, I just wanted to make sure I knew what was true about me from God's word. And I wanted to read it out. And I was so inspired that two years ago, I started doing that. And I would read over myself the truths about who I am in Christ. And so I thought I'd read that list with you guys too. So these are my words to live by. The truth that I want to live by. I am a passionate follower of Jesus. I love my wife and I will lay down my life for her. I'm a present and aware father. 
I'm a loyal and trustworthy friend. I'm accepted and valued and loved for being me. I'm not defined by my sin or my shame. I am forgiven because of my Savior. I will wake up every day with purpose, direction, and meaning because you give it to me, God. I'm empowered by your spirit to preach boldly the resurrection power of Christ that now lives in me. I won't worry. I'm not afraid, for you are with me. You must increase. I must decrease. I will give my heart to college students, to families, to kids, because you gave your heart for me. I won't stop when it's short of the life that you died and rose for me to live because I will obey your word when you say go and I will listen to your voice when you tell me no. Because of Jesus, I am healed, free, and fearless. Because of Jesus, I am pure, honest, and faith-filled. Because of Jesus, I am a new creation. Because of Jesus, I belong in the family of God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What story are you living? The one you keep telling yourself or the one that God wants to tell about you? And so what I wanna do in this time is I wanna give you the opportunity to respond how you see fit. And I just want you to wrestle with God. The one thing, the lie, the insecurity, the thing that defines you right now, what if you let your new identity in Christ define you, not your insecurity? So we're gonna do that in just a second, but I'd love to pray for you. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the truth of your word, that you are consistently and constantly revealing your heart to us. God, I thank you. You continue to amaze me. You surprise me in your word. But Father, in this time right now, I pray for the person in this room right now who thinks that they are disqualified from being used by you. I pray they would lay that at your feet, I pray for the mother who's overwhelmed. I pray for the, the college student that's so anxious. Father, I pray for the person that thinks that the abortion or the eating disorder or the struggle, sin, shame of their past defines them now. That that would all fall at the foot of the cross. So God, be in this time. Fill us with your presence. We need you. Holy Spirit, move. Let us take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen.